Good morning. So I'm a little challenged this morning because I had a lesson already in my head. I always have a lesson in my head. In fact, if I didn't, if, if I didn't feel like I needed to bring a particular lesson, I could bring seven. Because I've been, I have, I've been speaking in corporations for years and helping them make a difference in how they function. And this morning, I want to share first with you um, a scripture that I took out of my slides. Because I'm sitting here this morning and going, okay, that scripture belonged in the slides. I just couldn't figure out how to get it in there. And so if you got your book and you want to look it up or you got your phone, I think there's an app to be made there, by the way, if you're an app developer. There should be an app that makes page noises, <laughs> right? So when you flip through your phone, there's a page noise so that the, the, the poor speaker's not standing up here thinking, who are you texting, you know? So Jeremiah 17, I want, I'm going I'm to read this one, 17.7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. That's the beginning. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream and will not fear when heat comes or drought comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of a drought nor cease to yield fruit. How does that play? Where does that start? Trust. You see, um, if I trust in the Lord and a drought comes, I go, cool, there's a drought. Let's see what I can do in a drought. If the heat comes, I go, cool, it's hot. I'm going to produce fruit in the heat. This tree that trusts in the Lord has green leaves in drought. But what came to my mind this morning, as we opened the windows and we looked outside, was the thought of the age or the season we're in as a human race, as a planet, as God's kingdom comes forward. What do you think it's going to be? Do you think there's going to be less problems or there's going to be more? More. Wow. See, that's a challenge. See, we went six years with drought. What's the next one going to look like? Twelve? Will our leaves be green? I think that's the challenge in growing up. Grow up, in, grow up spiritually. So grow up why? See, this is one of those things I worked with in companies all the time. Why would I bother doing X? Whatever X is. And it's really fun in the business world because they got a scorecard. You know, have you ever played a game? All, all kinds of games? Yeah, one of the things that drives me nuts is the new soccer games for little kids. They don't keep score because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right? Oh, the kids keep score. Why? Because they know everything keeps score. So there's some adults there that have deceived themselves into thinking the score doesn't matter. And the kids at five already know the score matters. I mean, come on. So anyway, so they don't keep score. So why? Why would I grow up? If I'm going to grow up spiritually, why would I waste my time? Why would I invest my time in growing up? How about freedom? See, one of the things that I find in a, in, a, in a time of drought is that the more I trust God, the more freedom I have. 
See, I'm not bound by the dry earth because my roots are deep enough that I'm still getting water. So if you're sitting in a drought and you're feeling constricted, look to trust more. Look to trust more because in that trust is freedom. See, I'm not bound by the drought. The, the roots keep going deeper. In fact, if you look, you'll find that a drought forces a plant's roots deeper. And they look for water. So what do I do? Return on investment. So I look all the time when I'm hired, there's got to be a reason. It's the why. Return on investment is the, is the uh, merchant's term on it. ROI. Got to get back something for my money. If I... You know, why would you spend twenty-five or thirty or $100,000 with me if you got to buy a piece of equipment that would make more money? It's like, that wouldn't make any sense. So there's always a, always a look for a return on investment. So what I've done in my work is what I call large-scale rapid cultural transformation. So I've been working with people around how to think differently. It's a pretty amazing thing, really, because there is no way that I can get you to think different if you don't want to. No way. Won't happen. But by the way, if you're married, who's married, right? I'm not promoting it. I'm just taking a poll, right? Who's married? Okay. Husbands, have you ever tried to change your wife? Did it work? Husbands, has your wives, have you ever tried to change your husband? Did it work? Well, maybe sometimes. They're, they're kind of better at it than we are, right? I mean, there's, anyway. Um, so change, so the, the way that you change, the way that you transform or help a person to transform, the only way, by the way, to create transformation in a culture, and cultures start with two people and go to thousands, tens of thousands. The only way to change and transform a culture is to transform each individual person in the culture. You cannot change a culture without individual people within it transforming. And the way you do that is by a new perspective. So if you want your house to run better, and there's only two of you, if you want your house to run better, there's only one of you. You got to change the perspective. If you want um, your house to run better and there's two, you got to change your perspective. Okay. Grow up. Unless you are converted and become like little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Woohoo! I don't have to grow. Right? Because I want to be like a little child. Whoever humbles himself as a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Woo! Kids are better. <laughs> Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. Now, why would I grow up? See, by the way, if you're really good and you've studied the scriptures really, really well, you can teach anything. See, I can tell you it's right to kill. It's happening. The group is called ISIS. And they use scripture from the same God, the same seed, Abraham. Uh-oh. That'll warp your head. See, but they've twisted the scripture. Grow up. So why do they come to the kingdom as a child? Why come to the king as a child? By the way, when it says Jesus only, it's because Jesus is the only one that taught to come to the kingdom as a child. I can't find it in Peter or James or John I can only find it when, when those guys are quoting Jesus that they taught that. Paul, I don't even know if I want to meet Paul. <laughs> that guy was hardcore. 
I don't think he, I don't think he knew what vacation was. But, but, so you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to come to the kingdom as a child. What is Jesus even talking about? He's talking about what I call a beginner's mind. You've, what he's saying is you've got to walk into this kingdom without any preconceived ideas about what it's supposed to look like. You can't even see it. You won't see the kingdom. You can't receive the kingdom unless you change your thinking, unless you come to it as a little child. So my first step in growth, in growing up spiritually, really is going backwards all the way to a clean mind. And, and, and by the way, you don't have a chance of this. You can't wrench your thoughts from growing up and how you got here to get to the kingdom as a little child. You can't do it. And here he is telling me that's how I get in. Sounds like kingdom stuff anyway. Doesn't it tell me one thing and it doesn't work and my mind doesn't all rattle around? So you got to grow up. Of course, then Paul steps in. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did it away with childish things. My son used to tell me, Dad, you need to grow up. Because I was just that goofy for a while. See, I tried growing up once, and I found myself in a religion. And then I went, wait, I don't like this. So then I went back to childish things. And there was no freedom in childish things. It just looked like it. There was no way. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, but in your thinking be mature. This is a little bit later in the same book. Solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to, do, to discern good and evil. Why do you want to be able to tell the difference between good and evil? Why? So you know which one to follow. You got to be able to tell the difference or you won't know. I have this thing I picked up somewhere. I couldn't, I'd give credit, but I can't remember where I got it. And it's like you've got two dogs in your head. One that's really good and nice and sweet and one that's evil and barking and growling all the time. So whichever one you want to spend time with, how do you keep it around? You feed it. So you feed the dog you want around. So if you can tell the difference, then you know, and you can create more good in your life. So that's just grow up, grow up. I love, I love Proverbs, man. It's like whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's like, did, did they really say words like that? Yeah, it meant, the word means stupid. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects instruction, but he who regards reproof will be honored. So you want another return on investment? There it is. You won't be stupid, and you won't be in poverty. But you'll be honored. So I'm looking for the why. What's the reason to grow up? Why would I bother growing up? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. What's that talking about? That's the words of truth. It's Paul talking to his son, well, adopted son, Timothy, to be prepared. Grow up and be prepared. You can discern good from evil. Grow up and be prepared. Rightly divide it. Accurately handle the word of truth. Grow up means changing your thinking. 
Okay, so I'm going to mess around here for a little bit, okay? I'm going to mess around just a little bit with this change your thinking because I'm convinced that it's the most important thing about growing up. Absolutely for sure, this whole lesson that Jesus brought to us, his prophecy was to grow up. And the way you do it is to change your thinking. Now, in my corporate experience and helping folks change their thinking... And in, the, and in the research I'd done with management articles and instructions, one of my favorite is some of the articles that come out in the Harvard Business Review. You wouldn't think so, but they've got change your thinking articles from psychologists and psychiatrists that talk about how to manage people, understanding why they think the way they do, and how to help them with that. So the way that's determined, it's like when people are asked to change, when I present you with a change or you're presented with a change, you've got a problem. And the problem is inside your head when you're presented with a change, even a small change in behavior, your brain goes, there's something wrong. It's your automatic response. It's how we're created. It's how the wires go and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know how the wires and stuff work. I, don't, I just b believe some of the stuff I read. But, in, but the problem that you got when you're confronted with change, asked to change, even a small behavior, your brain goes, there's something wrong. And so you keep trying to go back to where you were. You resist the change, and you try to go back to where you were. So in order to change, if you want to change a behavior, it's like you've got to go against your normal processes of something wrong. And I mean, when in a group environment, in your family, if my wife comes to me and says, you're wrong, or I want you to do something different, she might be really kind and wonderful. I'd really like you to do it this way, okay? I don't like the way you tie the bag. This is not true. I don't like the way you tie the bag on the trash. I would rather you tied it over here. And my brain goes, what's wrong with what I'm doing? And so because I think I'm wrong, I'm going to resist it. Who wants to be wrong? Raise your hands. Oh, yeah, okay. See, who wants to be wrong? Do you want to be called out and be wrong? No, nobody wants to be wrong. So if you ask me to make a change, grow up, I hear you tell me I'm wrong. And so nobody wants to be wrong. So since you told me to change and I don't want to be wrong, I'm not going to change. I'm tying the trash bag that way or putting the seat up or the toothbrush this way or the clothes that way or whatever it is that you're asked to do. It's a simple behavior change and you hear I'm being made wrong. So how do we deal with that? The way to change, I'm going to get to that verse, you wait. The way to change is by experience or encounter. See, and then I'm provoked to change. That's why women can change men and men can't change women because they can provoke us to change. <laughs> Sometimes, my wife might disagree. I'm a little more stubborn than most, but um, we can be provoked to change. So we can, from the inside, we'll, we'll agree to change because we have a new experience or we have an encounter. See, this is one of the really, really awesome things about where we live. See, because we live in the midst of an encounter. See, I have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and he won't go away. <laughs> He's right here in me. So I'm in the midst of an encounter all the time. So when I come up against, I don't want to change. He comes alongside me and says, that one I want you to do. Or he says, I, that one I don't want you to do. See, not all change is good. 
but I have an encounter, so I can have an experience, or I can have an encounter. And by the way, if you look, that's how Jesus taught. He gave experiences, and then he had encounters. In the corporate world, we, got, we might call it a debrief. You go to a meeting, everybody gets together after the meeting, go, okay, what did we decide in that meeting? You have a meeting after the meeting to decide what the encounter was all about. And so we, but we have this debrief. So it's by an experience or an encounter, and Jesus provided both in his method of teaching. So it must be that he knew about the brain and how it would receive him. So he starts his ministry down in Galilee. He comes in from the wilderness. By the way, before he went to the wilderness, these words right here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was barking those words first. And Jesus is baptized and he's called away and he's tested. And then he comes back and he goes down to Galilee and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But the way you define things, so here's what I want you, there's one word I want to work with here, and it's the word repent. What's your meaning for repent? And by the way, just for fun, you don't have to get it right. Like, you don't have to know what, what, what Miriam Webster put in her dictionary or what some Bible dictionary said. Just, what's your dictionary, what's your dictionary, what's your meaning for repent? Just think of that right now, for just for a minute. What does it mean to you, Repent. You got one? You got kind of a meaning? So here's what, the, here's what defining words does for you. It exposes your beliefs or thinking about life as it relates to that particular word. Now, there's a lot of meanings out there for repent. Um, in fact, if you were to grab this verse from a newer translation, it would say repent of your sins. The New Living Translation says right there, repent of your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does repent mean? Turn from your sin, stop sinning and, and, and come around. Um, you, got, you got a meaning for repent in your head, what it means to you? Change direction. Change direction. Feel guilty about it? What was that? Turn away. Turn away. See, here's the problem. Here's the problem we got with this word. Jesus didn't say that. John didn't say that. See, when you want to go rightly divide the words, man, when I left religion, I had been to a missionary Baptist seminary. And I could, I could quote right here from the stage the entire first chapter of John in what we emulated Greek. I had to memorize the whole first chapter of John in Greek. I didn't learn anything about the kingdom or the uh, blood covenant or liberty in Christ or any of that stuff, but I got Greek. So the interesting thing is we never worked on this word. We never worked on this word. We memorized that and we did a lot of word studies and we blamed, we, we blamed things and translations and all kinds of stuff, but we never worked on this word. And then... For some reason, somebody one time somewhere said, look at that word, repent. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Actually, repent means what you think it means, but Jesus and John didn't say that word. They said a different word. They said a word, metanoio. What Jesus really said was metanoio, 
because the kingdom of heaven is had. And what that word means, meta is two words. It's meta and it means change or bigger or bigger change. And noyo means the thinking and the brain and the deepest part of the brain. It means understanding, thought to the level of understanding. So what Jesus said was, you better change your mind because the kingdom's here. See, the problem with the word repent of your sins and then you'll see the kingdom. Repent of your sins and then you'll be saved. The problem with that is it leaves out two real key things from the New Testament. Faith in Jesus. See, it acts like that's something I can do to get saved. See, I can repent of my sins and I'm saved. Doesn't happen. Sorry, doesn't happen. What happens is I come to Jesus by faith and I recognize him as Lord and I believe in my heart he's raised from the dead and then I'm saved. I didn't have to do anything with my sins. He did. See, he had to do the thing with my sins. I didn't do the thing with my sins because if I could fix my own sins, I don't need him. See, that's what happened in the garden. They put on leaves. They thought they could fix it. So repent of your sins is I'm going to sew together fig leaves. And now I got it covered, God. Well, why are you hiding in the bushes? Well, just in case. I wasn't sure. I felt pretty good with the fig leaves, but just in case I'm going to hide in the bushes. So if you went, oh, I'm going to repent of my sins and now I'm fine, you're not. You can't fix your own sin. You've got to have faith in Christ. You've got to know him as Lord. And you've got to believe in your heart he's raised from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the salvation. If you don't know him as Lord and you don't believe he was raised from the dead, come on. We're here to help you with that. Because that's the change of mind he's talking about. You're going to have to change how you think. Why? Because the kingdom's here, baby. The king is standing in front of you. The king is standing in front of you. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to change your thinking about everything because the kingdom of heaven has arrived. You know what he did right after that? What did he do right after that? Come on. He started walking through the streets and he made the blind to see and he got the lame up on their legs. And he cast out epilepsy and all kinds of sickness. Come on. You want to know why you got to change your thinking? Because that stuff doesn't make sense to the human. It's foolishness. You can't heal sick people. That's why they were laying around dead and dying and sick, because you couldn't heal them. And Jesus walked in and said, you, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to get a new perspective on life because the kingdom just showed up. Come on. That's our job, by the way. He said two things. One is the life group thing. And by the way, Matt, I appreciate everything you said. Um, the life group thing. You'll know me because you love the brethren. You'll know, they'll, know, they'll know you belong to me because you love one another. So that's a declaration. So they'll know you by love. But he went, but he shows up and he says, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to take life different. It's going to look different. And then he says, you're going to know those who believe in me because they're going to heal the sick. They're going to raise the dead. They're going to cast out demons. And you're going to have to change the way you look at the world because you're not going to be able to do it. See, it doesn't make any sense for a tree to live through a drought. On, on, uh, if you live around here and get the road on Highway 41, you watched at the end of last summer or last spring when they took the uh, uh, avocados and they cut them back to nothing. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. 
but they cut them completely back to nothing. They painted them all white. And why do they do that? Because they're keeping them alive through a drought. Now, what Jesus said there, what, what, what Jeremiah said was that I don't have to worry about the drought. I'm going to have leaves on me. So I'm going to look like I changed my mind. See, it doesn't matter if I'm in wealth or in poverty. I'm going to have leaves on me. It doesn't matter if I'm sick. I'm going to have leaves on me. Why? Because that's what it trust looks like. If I trust in the Lord and my roots are deep, I'm going to have fruit. The kingdom is right. And then he started out. That, I mean, that's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. The Sermon on the Mount was to bring you up, was to encourage you. It's, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he gets really serious about this thing. He says, those who listen or heard my words and act on them are going to be like a man who built his house on a rock. And the storms come. Are the storms coming? And the winds pat, bash against it. And yet it's going to be standing because he acted on my words. And he said, the man that hears my words and doesn't act on them is like the fool that built his house in the sand. The storm comes, and the rains come, and the winds come, and his house is destroyed. The only way you can do what it says in the Sermon on the Mount, or pretty much anything else Jesus said, is by trusting him, because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that I am now condemned for calling my brother a fool just as if I killed somebody. It doesn't make sense that I would stay married to my wife. It doesn't make sense that I would put my, my offering down and go solve the problem with somebody who doesn't like me. It doesn't make sense that I would give somebody my jacket and my shirt when they ask for it. It doesn't make sense that I would go looking for my own problems before I point, them out to, point yours out to you. It doesn't make sense. So you've got to change your thinking. Some of, this we, some of this starts to make sense because we have an encounter. See, when those things start to make sense, it's like, oh, I must have had an encounter. What did Jesus do next? Okay, so here's, here's a, a story in Matthew 16. I'm not going to read it because I, I like telling it. And when I tell a story, you gotta, there's, I, there's a literary license. If I read it, it's... I don't get to play. So Jesus and his buddies are hanging out with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He did this a lot. And he's telling them to change how they think the whole time. Of course, they're, you know, they're so entrenched. There's no way they can come like a little child because they already know. I mean, that's what they were taught. They're taught. They're the judge. I mean, they're the law. They're the, they're the rulers. They tell you how it is. We don't need to ask you. We already know. So, they're, so they kind of need a tough change. So anyway, so Jesus and his guys are hanging out with the Sadducees and Pharisees. And they leave to go somewhere else, to the other side, it says. So they must have jumped back in a boat. I, I guess that's what happens when you hang around fishermen. You always end up in a boat. Have you ever known anybody that's got a boat? They're always trying to get you on the boat. Yeah, somebody owns a boat. They say, hey, come to my boat. Hey, come to my boat. Anyway, so there, yeah, there's, Pat, there's Rick. So Anyway, so they all get in a boat and they go to the other side and there's a little note in there that says, oh, they forgot the bread. So whoever's job it was to bring bread forgot the bread. Whoever's, I don't know, maybe all 12 of them were supposed to bring it, but nobody brought bread. And so they're going on over and Jesus is debriefing the, men, the meeting. See, they had an encounter and an experience with Pharisees and Sadducees. 
And he's debriefing that meeting with his guys. And he says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they went, oh, no. What are we going to do? We didn't bring no bread. What were they worried about? The bread, their food, their sustenance, what was going to take care of their physical part. See, they, so when, you, when we, Jesus talks about change your thinking, this is a tough deal. It's not easy. Because then he goes to him and he goes, oh, so little faith. So little faith. Did you guys forget? You remember like the 4,000 guys and all the women and children hanging out with them? We fed them all. You remember that? And then there was, was 5,000 and we were hanging out with them and we fed all them and the guys. And went, remember that? A little basket with seven fish or something and we just, I mean, that had to be fun anyway. Can you imagine how much fun that must have been when Jesus is out there grabbing stuff out of those kids back and the disciples are running back and forth grabbing. They're, they're scooting out, running as fast as they can. With just, you'd have to be laughing. I mean, it'd just have to be a big giggle, and Jesus must have been laughing. I mean, it's, it's, you want to know whether that guy had any fun or not? Can you imagine feeding 5,000 men out of a basket of nothing and how much, what a kick that had to be? Oh, my gosh. That was an encounter, and that was an experience, and they still didn't change their thinking. He says, you've got, oh, little, oh, ye of little faith, how is it do you know, not understand? And this is the same word as metanoia in a different tense. How is it that you didn't change your thinking? Wow, so even in the experience, so you had to change your thinking. You've heard this word already this morning. Present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your, actually it says log, logical service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world. See, that's the asking for bread. What happened? We forgot the bread. That's the confirmation to the world. We gotta worry about eating. We got to, what, what are we, is he going to forgive us for getting, the, for getting the bread? Are we going to, you know, like we're trouble. You ever had that feeling like you didn't do something right? You feel like you're in trouble? That's how they felt. And that's when he said, oh, you have little faith. What's the matter? <laughs> but be transformed by the renewing of your nose. So you've got to present your bodies, experience, encounter, a holy sacrifice. That's how you do it. If you're not ready to sacrifice your bodies, you're not ready for the encounter. And be renewed, transformed, which by the way, the word meta is in that word, metamorphosis. Ever seen a caterpillar go to a butterfly? That's that word right there. That's what transform is, comes from. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove. So there's a reason to change my mind so I can prove what the good and acceptable will of God is. So that I can show you that if I trust in Jesus, if I trust in the Lord, I can show you, I can show you that he'll feed me and water me and there'll still be fruit. I got to change my thinking. Uh, boom, there it goes. I don't want to do that one. This is my favorite slide because I get to do anything I want. Let's see what's in here. Oh, one thing. One thing. Do you remember this guy last week? So there's a way to change your thinking. It's by an experience or by an encounter. And we got an assignment last week. And uh, Pastor Mike said, pick a word, pick one thing, and work on it. 
One thing for your own growth. So grow up. Pick one thing, one word. And he had about, I don't know, 30 words up there. It's like there's almost so many words. Like the thing I got to pick is to pick a word. So between, but since I'm speaking today, I got to do the homework, right? I can't, I can't dodge it. I have to do the homework because I'm going to be here today and it looks silly if I didn't do the homework, right? So I don't know if you did the homework or not, but I picked a word and I want you to play with me in my word. Would you play with me? So like, if you're going to play with me, you got to get something to write on. And, and you only need a little teeny tiny spot. I don't care what it is. A little spot of the of bulletin and something to write with. Dig, dig something out. I want you to play with me. This is one of the communication exercises I do in my seminars. It's just, it's a giggle. It's an absolute giggle. And by the way, like in my seminars, you don't feel like doing it, don't, don't bother. Just get something to write on. I'll give you a second. One thing. Just one thing. Of course, the one thing I'm always working on is perspective. How do I change my perspective? Because the one I got keeps me from where I want to go. But that's not the word I'm working on. Okay, so here's what I want you to do, which, by the way, you can do if you don't write. When I give you my word, I want you to write down the first three words that come to mind. All right? I'm going to give you my word, and when I give you my word... I don't want you to discern it. I don't want you to try to figure it out. I don't want you to watch, write Merriam's dictionaries of it. But I want you to write the first three words that come to your mind. You all ready? Go. Abundance. First three words. Write three words down. Okay, you got three words? Anybody's playing? Got three words? Okay, come on. Somebody, somebody give me one of their words. Anybody that's ready, stand up and give me your words. I know, stand up, because then I know. Yeah. More. More. Okay. Who's got more? Everybody raise their hand. Wow, you didn't get the whole room. Um, plenty. Okay, plenty. Who's got plenty? Raise their hand. Wow, you got three. Uh, how about another word? Yeah. Fulfilled. fulfilled. Who's got fulfilled? Okay, so now here's the lesson. I don't know if you looked around the room to see who had it, but did you notice that none of those words everybody had? Right? No, not everybody had any one of those three words. That's a problem. That means if I say abundance, nobody in here knows what I mean. <laughs> nobody. You don't know what I mean. I say abundance. Woohoo! Let's talk about abundance. I think my class is about abundance. But I tell you it's about abundance, and you have no idea what I mean. Because you got it's plenty or more or whatever, right? It's all these things. So this is how do you grow up? This is about changing your thinking. That's what that's all about. How do I change my thinking? What am I going to change my thinking about? How do I function within a new thought process? By the way, this is one of Jesus' favorite words. Right? The thief comes to steal. steal, kill, destroy. I came that you might have life and have it more abundant. Now, you know what the problem with that is? You don't know what he meant. <laughs> right? Because everybody's got a different word for abundance. So if I walk up to you and say, hey, let's have abundant life. What could you think? I mean, I think the word's been, how about uh, it's been hijacked? Right? Does anybody have the idea of plenty or more? Or, I mean, there's a whole bunch of prosperity message preachers out there. Have you heard them? 
Now, I don't disagree with prosperity. I think it comes. He says that if, I got my, if I'm trusting him, I'm going to have fruit. All right? But the prosperity is looking for the Mercedes and the big house, too. That's okay, too. We could have a Mercedes and a big house. I just don't think that's what the word meant. By the way, the Greek word for this was plenty. It is plenty. But just plenty doesn't match the rest of his lessons. So I thought, well, since I'm going to claim that I'm going to teach something about abundance, that at least I could tell you my idea of abundance, right? So if you were to join us in a class, you would, so you would know what you're coming for. And I'm also going to share it with you so that you might use my definition for abundance in your life. I'm not arrogant enough to think it's the only one. I just think it's a good one. <laughs> abundance, a point of view. See, we're talking about a point of view. Always talking about a point of view. Point of view or thinking that your wholeness or completeness does not depend on outside circumstances. Your wholeness or completeness does not depend on outside circumstances. You see, if I trust in him, if I trust in the Lord, he's going to plant me by a water, by a brook. And he's going to help me with my roots because I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to push my roots down. And I'm going to look for the water. And in the drought and the storm and the winds, I'm going to produce green leaves. Because my wholeness or my completeness does not depend on the storm. Whether there's a storm or whether there's water. See, it doesn't matter if there's water or drought. Irrelevant. That's what this means. Irrelevant. Whether there's water or drought. It doesn't matter. My wholeness and completeness aren't part of that. That's a mindset. See, that's a change of thinking. If you want to, you want to know what Jesus is talking about, he says, you're going to have to get ready because the kingdom of God is like, you're going, it's, it's so big and so different and so powerful and it's, 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 a, it's bigger than huge. So I want to hit the opposite. That helps you define it, right? Scarcity. Anybody live in scarcity? Not enough. Money. Time. Friends. Not enough. Food. Relationships. Men or women. Not enough. Anybody got not enough going on in their head? Not enough time. Not enough money. Not... I mean, you do. If you tell the truth, there's some place where it shows up, not enough. Not enough power. I want it to be my way. No, I want it to be my way. But it's my way's better. No, my way's better. There's not enough power. Authority. Love. Uh-oh. Not enough love. Has anybody had that experience? Not enough love? Boy, I bet all of us have. If you don't know Jesus, you have had that experience. You might even be living it. What, uh, what else? How about I'm not enough? See, if I'm not enough... There's no way that I can live abundantly because I think it's about me and I'm just not enough. <laughs> Here's the opposite. Scarcity and the opposite. Doubt, scarcity, focuses on the obstacle. See, the question that a person in scarcity asks is, wow, can I do this? I really wish I could do that. I just don't know how I can do it. I can't see it. I'm, I, there's too many things in a way. It's raining. It's too hot out. There's always a problem. There's always doubt. Grow up. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's that 
root drawing the water up into my branches. The power that works within me, to him be the glory. So what's the call of God on your heart that you wrestle with? What is it you don't have enough? You're asking him, can I? Can I, please? Father, Lord, can I? Help me, Lord, can I? Please, can I? Can I? Would you let me? Help me, can I? Can I? Can I? It could be as simple as providing for your family or, may, or ministering to your spouse. Or it could be big as starting a church. Or an international ministry. It could be any of those things. But what's that one thing? See, it doesn't have to be a word. That one thing God's put on your heart. Abundance and faith ask a different question. They never ask, can I? They don't ask, can I? They say, how can I? Knowing that the Lord has already provided a way. See, that's abundance. It's not, can I? Can I go minister in Africa? I don't know. Can you? How can I go minister in Africa? Different question, isn't it? So today, faith sees a way. So can faith exist without works? The only way you can show your faith is to set out in faith. So if I was going to go to Africa, because that's my call to minister. By the way, it's not. That's not my call. I'm not totally clean on it. I mean, I wouldn't mind going there and ministering with somebody else where I could make a contribution, but I don't have any call to that. I do have a call. It's to set out in faith and see how God will bless your work. See, I've been standing in drought. I've been standing in scarcity myself for about six months. And the fruit's still there. And most of my friends and relationships don't even think I'm in a drought. I'm not bragging. That's just really cool, isn't it? I'm in a drought and nobody knows. My wife and I are in a drought and we show up and minister. That's green. I'm not bragging about this. this I couldn't do this because every single day of the drought, I'm going, God, really? Really? Another day of drought? I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. But about three weeks ago, I sat out in faith, and all of a sudden, everything changed. I really just believed him. Okay, I'll go do what you say. I'll quit chasing other stupid stuff, and I'll go do what you say. And in that, he blessed me. So I like to leave a lesson this way. Well, how can you get the most out of it? What can you do to, get to, to make this investment of 45 minutes of your life worthy? Listen to the Holy Spirit and hear that one thing in your life that you really want and have been asking God, can I? Go home today and change the question.